Welcome, welcome, welcome to the South Dakota GFP Podcast and Blast. It is October, so that means Christmas for all lovers of hunting, fishing, and the outdoors in South Dakota. We've got an awesome, awesome electric podcast for you. Uh, anybody who's fans of outdoor video and social media know my first guest, uh, Travis Schwartz, but you know him as Hank Patterson. Fly Fisherman Extraordinaire, really cool opportunity to sit down with Travis, a.k.a. Hank, uh, and sit down and talk to him about why he was in South Dakota chasing trout and what he thinks about the future of outdoors. Uh, also got October is something uh, probably a lot of South Dakota outdoor people don't think about, but it's salmon spawning season up on Oahe. Sit down with Bob Hanton, talk to him about the salmon spawning uh, station up at Whitlock Bay up by Gettysburg. Uh, Thea Miller-Ryan from the Outdoor Campus has got some cool stuff. And uh, so let's get rolling. This episode is brought to you by you, uh, hunters and anglers and outdoor lovers in South Dakota. Uh, your purchase of licenses and uh, outdoor gear help fund efforts like this. Also be remiss, very remiss, if I didn't thank uh, my buddy Jeremiah Gardner and the boys from Bus 9. Uh, for letting me uh, use their awesome music uh, in the podcast introduction. If you don't know, those boys are from Britain. Uh, I was actually in that band for a little while when they were just doing cover music and went on to bigger and better things. So thanks, Jer and Larry and the guys from Bus 9. So let's get rolling. All right, welcome, welcome, welcome. Today's guest on South Dakota Game Fishing Parks Podcast and Blast is an actor, writer, producer, fly fisherman, comedian. uh, All-around good guy. Pot roast connoisseur, (laughs) right? I just heard pot at first, and I thought, where's this going? Pot roast. (laughs) Pot roast connoisseur. I I enjoy a good pot roast. Right, Travis Swartz, uh, you may not recognize his name but if you are a fan of the outdoors funny things fly fishing videos you will recognize the voice because travis's alter ego is the venerable hank patterson yeah yeah travis would say hank patterson and hank patterson would say i'm hank patterson (laughs) but it is definitely the voice that that gives me away often right on which i find odd your alter ego is a is a world-renowned fly fishing guide, calligraphy enthusiast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, world champion pot roast connoisseur, as I said. Yeah. yeah. Um, thanks for taking a break from grinding away and filming and uh, and fishing today. I appreciate it, Travis. It, it's it's a pleasure. I love it. I love. I, uh, I appreciate you asking me to do this. So let's talk about how you got first of all here in the Black Hills. What uh, brings you here? So I came uh, to the Black Hills originally. Uh, I think last spring, I, I'll be honest with you, I do not even remember the month, but uh, the Black Hills Fly Fishers asked me if I would come and, and speak in an event, and uh, and it's something I do around the country is, is speak at fly fishing shows or or uh, just my own shows and, and, and travel around the country and, and do live live stuff. So so these guys contacted me and asked me if I would come out and do it, and I said, yeah, I'll come out and, and, and do it. Um, uh, and this sort of ties into the idea for this film that, that we're shooting here this this week. Um, 
I'll be honest. When I was asked to come to South Dakota, my initial reaction was like, oh, hell, no, I don't want to go to South Dakota. <laughs> and, uh, and, and when people would ask me, like, wait, where are you speaking this weekend? I'd say, uh, Rapid City, South Dakota. And they'd be like, oh, God, you poor son of a gun. Um, and uh, that's the general reaction. Uh, you know, I, look, I mean, I live in Idaho, and I'm sure plenty of people go, oh, my God, uh, potatoes. You know, why right. do you want to go there? Um, so... <laughs> So flying out to South Dakota, to Rapid City, uh, when I came in, in to speak, just sounded miserable. And and I got here, and the people were great, which I, I should have expected um, because, you know, generally you go to a fly fishing thing, you, you meet really great people. Right. Um, and here was certainly no different. It met super good people, was put up uh, at the Alex Johnson, which I thought was a phenomenal hotel. Right. Great turnout uh, for for my show. Uh, did a Q and A portion of the show that just went really well, and I could people just were into it, and they you know they they appreciated what I do, and and uh, and I, I certainly appreciated their reaction and uh, to to what I do, and, and certainly the hospitality that I got here, and and it stood out. I mean, it wasn't just the general hospitality that I get. I'm treated really nice most places. Um, it stood out. I mean, that's, I was like, man, these guys are, these are great people. So, uh, I don't even remember the original question, but I think it was, how did I end up in the Black Hills? And and I I got here because I was, I was originally invited and I had a hell of a good time and and decided, you know, I should, I should come back and, and, uh, do my part to show people that this isn't a, you know, this isn't just Sturgis and this isn't just uh Mount Rushmore and this is this is good people it's a beautiful area and uh you know for for fly fishing I don't think you can ask more than uh, a, a good place with an opportunity to catch fish with uh, super good people right so you'd, ne- you'd never fished here before so you're going fairly blind but you you had some good good help with Hans from uh Dakota, yep. Dakota Angler and Outfitters here and that in fact we're sitting in his uh, his awesome store right now. So if yeah, you hear anything in the background, that's people Hans's hobby lobby doing doing consumer stuff. Um, so he came in, you know, Hans, his crew, good people. You got a good crew of people. Um, where have you fished? I know we fished the Pactola Basin today, but where else have you been? Yeah. So I, I, I'll be honest. <laughs> I, I may get this wrong. Um, I mean, the whole thing got, got put together because uh, uh, me and Brady from the Black Hills Fly Fishers. I mean, I had suggested the idea to, to do the film, and, and I think he probably more than anybody helped sort of really push it along and, and really convince me that I really should right. come and do it. Um, so, so that was a that was that was great. And so, when it came to where are we going to fish, I think that uh, uh, Brady and Hans and and other guys from the shop here all sort of put their heads together and decided where uh, Spearfish Canyon. I think yep. uh, seemed like an obvious place. Not not to me because I don't know anything about right. it. Uh, but to those guys, um, and we fished Whitewood uh, up near Deadwood. Whitewood, Deadwood. There's a lot of wood around here. <laughs> yeah, and. Uh, and uh, today we fish, yeah, uh, the Pactola below, and 
I, I'll, what was the first one we were on? Uh, we were up by Rabbit City. Creek. Rabbit, Rabbit Creek. Creek. Up Creek. Yeah, that's it. Uh, so we fished there, and it's funny because you'll it, something like this. This is the most blind I've ever gone into one of these. Right. So we fished Montana. I, I know Montana not really, really, really well, but I know it well enough to know here's where we're going to go, and right. we just followed. You know, it, it was a river runs through it, sort right. of a <laughs> nod to that. Right. So right. that was pretty easy one to figure out. Um, Idaho, we know where we're going. Alaska, you know, we got, you know, we were on just a specific river really fishing a run. So this was the most blind I've ever been going into where we're going to fish, how we're going to fish. There's a fair amount of nymphing. If you watch my videos, you know that I, um, bad mouth nymphing a lot, but I, I honestly, uh, I don't mind going nymph fishing. I like to catch fish. I I would rather catch them on dries. (laughs) We, We had that opportunity this afternoon. So that was good. Let's talk about, you mentioned Idaho. You're, you're based out of Idaho. Are you Idaho boy? or? Yeah, born and, and raised in Boise, Idaho. Right on. So how did you get to this point where you're at? Obviously, you know, sense of humor, but how do you get to combine the things where you're at, the things that you're good at? How did you get to this point? Tell me about your background, really, I guess is what I'm asking. Oh, yeah, my, my background was in, so when I got out of, high school um i went and did shakespeare in new york and so my my (laughs) and you probably see that in my videos now Uh, so yeah it's very shakespearean and it's tragic uh but uh yeah so you know i I was an actor for probably a theater actor for about seven eight years toured children's theater did shakespeare festivals did oregon shakespeare festival you know worked out of sacramento and new york and uh, did that and just burned out on the on the whole thing and and you know I, I just was never going to be a lifetime theater actor and um, I think I was good at it maybe I don't know maybe not um, but I got work and, and did well it, it just it was too uh, I just didn't feel like moving around and right. having six month contracts and making really bad money all my <laughs> life. Um, not that you make a lot of money making fly fishing right, films. Uh, fly fishing films. All so right. I did that, and then I, I also did a lot of comedy shows. Did did comedy stuff, and and uh, not necessarily stand up, but we would do these like big like shows and bars, and and did really well with that actually. Right, so right. doing comedy shows, and then um, from there just got into the video and, and right. film stuff. Shoot a lot of corporate video and that sort of thing and, and and i own a video company in in boise um that does a lot of corporate work and and, and also the this the hank patterson stuff and then my own personal like short films and features so it, it just a, you know always one side or the other of of a camera you know i took my love of comedy and, and acting and uh and um yeah, just tried to make a small career out of it right so, getting into this character of Hank Patterson, first saw him two years ago on on the now famous uh, Yellowstone <laughs> short. Uh, yeah. And I know when we were talking uh, in between you, slaying giant rainbows and browns in the Black Hills, knocking them dead. Sure, uh, well, we released them. They were not yes, dead. not no, slaying. I mean, slow down. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you said there's a good story behind that Yellowstone video, and I know I when I saw that, I've shown that to. Everybody in game fishing parks. 
Yeah. Tell me that story, where that came from, that idea. Yeah. So, yeah, the the, the Hank Patterson Yellowstone video is, is basically a video that just tells you to stay the blank away from, from the wild animals, you know, and, right. and you're going to be safe and, uh, you know, stay on the paths. And it, it it's funny. It gives very sound advice right. in a, you know, sort of different way. Um, but we were, we were driving through Yellowstone a couple years ago, and it wasn't long after the whole guy putting a baby bison in the trunk of his car right. episode. Yeah. Um, you're guaranteed every year uh, you know, 30, you know, this person is an idiot, Darwin Award level right. sort of things to happen in, in Yellowstone. And But we're driving through, me and a buddy of mine, Jason, who shoots some of the Hank stuff with us. And he made the comment that, you know, people are so stupid. You know, how can people come here and be so stupid that they do these things? They get out of their cars and they get close to grizzly bears and they try to pet a bison. And I said, wait, you know, they're maybe they're not stupid. Maybe they just didn't grow up around it. Right. I mean, not everybody, you know, intuitively knows that, you know, this isn't a petting zoo. So you see a lot of people from different parts of the world, you know, come out. And I think to myself, well, they've never seen a bison. They don't know what a grizzly bear is. And a lot of other people are pulled over in their cars. And it's called Yellowstone Park. Uh, you know, I mean, I think they think of it as a petting zoo. And they think they're somewhat tame animals. And uh, I said, I don't know that Yellowstone honestly does enough to educate you when you're walking through the door or driving through the gates. Um so I said, We're, I'm going to make a video that, that gives sound quality advice that you should stay, you know, you want to see a grizzly bear? Uh, stay in your car. Right. Uh, you know, and, and hey, look, there's a wolf. Stay the blank away from it. Uh, and and so, you know, we just had a laugh and I thought it was a really good idea. And, and I actually honestly told him, I said, maybe people need to watch a video before they go into Yellowstone to, you know, maybe save some lives. And and uh, but then again, maybe this is a good way to thin the herd. Right. The human herd. The the funny thing is, uh, like I said, I've shown this to a, a ton of my colleagues, and a lot of them at at, at uh, Custer State Park, where we have one of the biggest bison herds in the in the country. <laughs> and uh, exact same take as you, as you had. Exact same take, and they said he is saying what we wish we could say, right? Right. <laughs> so we were. I was in I was in Custer State Park just last week before the uh, before the uh, Buffalo Roundup, which just happened. And there's a famous story. It was my brother-in-law. He lives here, and he's with some friends who were here from the re- for the Big Sturgis bike rally, driving through around the wildlife loop. And the guy says, "What's a dangaroo?" And my brother-in-law said, well, "I'm not sure what you mean." And he said, "Well, I know what a buffalo is, but what's a dangaroo?" And he said, well, what are you saying? He said, the sign. It says, Buffalo are dangaroo. <laughs> and this kid, you know, grew up, on the, grew up on the East Coast. And he went, oh, that's dangerous. And he's like, oh, I totally overthought that. Yeah, 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 yeah. So. <clears throat> I don't know if you overthought it. You just, you know, you should, you didn't read well. Right. It's a dangaroo. You know, it's a very dangerous animal. But let's, let's talk about the. This humor, I, and you know, I, 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 you were grinding when when I first pulled up and we were fishing, and I've never seen somebody grind fishing it like you guys did today, and and really get after it. And where so this humor part of it that that you bring to it, do you think because there's only one other show, and it's a friend of mine, Benny Spies, who's done a show on the Outdoor Channel that brings humor, like true humor, all the time into the show. Is it taboo? 
it, when did when did we as outdoorsmen mm-hmm. and and I don't I can't really speak for fly fishermen because I you know I'm terrible at it so I just laugh at myself all the time, but it seems like everything that we watch uh, on you know the, the outdoor media, man, that's pretty serious. But we're in it for <laughs> right. It was fun. a beautiful day today, and if we're not out here having fun, I tell that to my ten year old daughter. You know, we're yeah. out fishing, and hey, if we're not having fun, let's go home. You know, <laughs> right. there's chores to do. We can yell at each other while we're doing chores. That that humor aspect. Do you? Have you found any of that? Have you found any pushback from even sponsors or anything? Or, or um, I mean, it's just it's so rare, is what I'm getting at. That yeah, I, you know, I think I think that it takes somebody uh, that is is not only funny but understands uh, the sport a little bit as well as comedy. Right. I think right. a lot of people think that we just go out and I just like just start rambling and, and it, you're just funny. And, and we do do some of that. Sometimes right. it's just I just start talking and say funny things. Right. And, and, and we put our, me, Hank, in certain situations that will, you know, eventually become funny. Right. But a, but I write a lot of it and try to figure out jokes and, right. and come up with a concept right. of why it's funny and how we're going to tell that and how we're going to shoot it. And I mean, it all looks real like, you know, just half ass put together. Right. But. You know, it looks like that because it was carefully planned. So, right. uh, I don't. I don't think it's taboo. I just think that you know, a lot of people are funny and are out there having a good time, um, but but they're not comedians, you know, and they're not actors. Being it's sort of like fun. one of those things where, you know, I think people just think that uh, you know, acting or comedy or something is just something that you know, oh, he's funny, he should, he should go do it because yeah. he, he's a funny guy. And it's like it's like anything else; you have to work at it. Right. So you know, you can't just go out and 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 be really really good at fly fishing in a day because right. it takes a lot of work it's the same thing with comedy so um the pushback you know i have i have people that don't like what i do because they don't like the style of comedy but i always that's subjective and so i'm like look of course some people are going to hate it you know i mean i hate some comedians that millions of people like right. and and it's a subjective thing and um but i i, I and i don't take that personal and i don't mind people that don't that don't care for it unless they just flat out like you know you, unless they're mean to me or right. <laughs> they say something personal about me and it's just right. like wow it's just having a good time yeah. being funny or or put down the people that think I'm funny well if you think he's funny you're an idiot well, right. I have a problem with that right um, but if it's just I don't think that's very funny then it's like you know clearly you don't understand humor <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> no but no it's it's uh, the pushback I've never had pushback really from sponsors I've had a couple come and go not in a bad way just in a it's like anything else relationship way right. the guy that I was talking to or the lady that I was talking to at a certain organization is now gone and you lose right. the relationship or make a new connection and um no with my sponsors and stuff like that I I you know I tell them I said you know it's I'm going to do what I'm going to do and so if you're on board with it, right. I'm not going to do anything offensive, uh, right. you know, or anything that if you've seen my videos, you like my videos, you'll you'll like this one, too. And it won't go any further. But they don't they don't get involved in the content. Yeah. <laughs> they might throw out an idea or two. And and uh, but they don't they don't get too involved. And, and um, I will say that I have had some network type people contact me. And I, and I think from that level there, they get concerned, like an outdoor channel or something. Right. I think I think sometimes they might. You know, to to do something like what I do that's not taking any of it seriously. You know, I think that's like, what would we do with this guy? Would right. our would our audience like that? Right. Very fair question. Right. I think they would, but yeah. Um, but yeah, no. So it's fun. You know, and it is funny. You talk about it. being being funny is not 
easy. It's it's a talent, but you have to work at it. And, it. and if I had a dollar for every time somebody said, oh, you're funny and you write, you should go to work for The Onion. It's right. Like, oh, man, I never thought of that. You know, I totally could do that. No. Well, it's funny because it's like uh, <coughs> Wally, my cousin Wally, who's right. in the videos, yep. uh, the the beer drinker. Uh, <laughs> he, uh, you know, he's always like, you know, giving giving advice on how to do things, and 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 which is awesome. But uh, so one time I said, y- you know, some of the stuff is scripted, and some of it is. I'm just going to talk about this. I'm going to riff on it, right? And we'll do it ten times, and I'll riff on it a bunch of times, and and uh, so he kept, you know, well, you know, what you should do, or, you know, what you should have done, and. And I finally was like, you know what, Wally, I'm going to give you your own segment. I'm going to, I'm going to put you out there and you teach them how to, how to fly fish. And so I'm going to have you take these, these uh, three people out and you're going to teach them how to cast a fly rod Wally style. And it'll be hilarious. Oh, yeah, that's going to be so funny. And, and, then, and then all of a sudden the camera's on and, and it's like action. And, it's, and you watch that like sudden appreciation for, right. oh, hell, I don't yeah. – don't do this, and this yeah. is hard. Right. And <laughs> you just heard something pucker. Yeah, 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 yeah. But you know, and it is. There's different levels. I've watched a ton, almost all of your stuff, if not all of your stuff. But <clears throat> some of the things that have really struck a chord with with my daughter and I, or, or my wife and I, when we're, we're we both, you know, we'll all bust out laughing. It's like the anger on the simple things. And the one is you, you mentioned. I think it's midge fishing, and you're trying to. Had a client, and I think he's your friend, Reese. Reese, yeah, yeah. And you're trying to tie this midge fly, and and you're sitting there, you're sitting there, and my daughter and my wife are both just staring at me, and I'm watching it, and, and I could feel that uncomfortable flop sweat come down a little bit, and then you just, like, run. You grab the line, and you run away, and my daughter, Charlotte, goes, Dad does that. And I was yeah. like, oh, and I'm dying laughing, you yeah. know, but it's so spot on, and you know the other thing that, and like I said, I'm not a fly fisherman. I, I'm I'm a very much a bait fisherman, and and the diatribe on the bait fisherman's episode, where you're like like really tongue in cheek, like how the bait fishermen are looking down on the fly fishermen. <laughs> well, I wanted to flip it, so <clears throat> it, right, it, you know the the obvious. Uh, the catch and release episode, which by far the most popular one we've ever done, because um, I think it included you know bait fishers and and so Hank trying to explain catch and release to a bait fisher who keeps fish right. and the ridiculous and and so you see it from their side right. you know it's like that seems really stupid right. like why are you catching a fish just to let it go and 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 you know and and so I thought the easy way to go about that is your typical like fly fishers are thought of as snobs and that sort of thing and and i thought well let's have hank think that bait fishers think down look down right, on us right, that right. they're the snobs and so i wanted to turn it on its head as you know so that the the bait fishers are the snobs and right. they have to have all their special gear and their fancy tackle purses right. and <laughs> i thought that would have and, and it turned out great right it did and those are those things when you know you're watching it and it's something and i've done nothing you know that clever but when it kind of strikes a chord inside you when you're doing it you're like ah okay i caught i caught that lightning in a bottle real quick there but just switching gears here and and i know you're tired and i need to get you uh back to your group and and just to relax a little bit fly fishing pretty solitary i mean i sat there and watched you guys today and i felt like a kind of an intruder one thing i have heavy feet so i don't i'm not gonna scare (laughs) any fish have a big head trying to stay away but you know it, it's a, such a solitary thing, but when you're filming, even you know, even bare bones filming, I mean, that's pretty invasive and it's pretty 
you got to be on the same page. Mm-hmm. And and you know you're out there fishing to kind of get lost and 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 kind of you know turn the phones off and and just get into that grind like we were talking about today where you look up and it's oh, it's three hours later. Is that hard to? Is that aspect of it plus? The other thing is, okay, I got to get my camera guy in the right spot. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and not scare yeah. fish. And is that hard to, I, I, I know you've done it enough now, but. Yeah, I can ignore the things around me pretty well. Um, and I've, I've learned that not only in fishing, but when you put yourself in positions where um, you have a lot of people pulling your attention at once. Um, you have to learn to focus on 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 the thing at hand so a good example is the other night we were shooting at crow peak brewing and when you go and you do an event like that you know a lot of people want to meet you which is a super flattering thing to do i have no idea why you'd want to talk to me uh but you know and 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 i really try to focus on how can i have an interaction with one person and ignore the rest of the room right before moving on to the next person and then you've got you know maybe the film crew and and part of my crew are there wondering well how late are we staying here we shoot more stuff after the event do we have more stuff at the event to shoot so then you've got to and so i try to be pretty hyper focused and in sort of the be in the moment now uh and fly fishing i think the same is like once you know the camera people are sort of know the general idea of where we're going to be in and I don't – once I'm fishing and the camera guy's in, in place and, and stuff, I don't I don't think much about that. And I can get pretty wrapped up in just the fishing part. It, it's not like just going fishing, right. you know, like without a camera and without a crew and without – you know, that's, that's a whole different experience. Um, do you get to do much of that? And that is the – I would say that's probably the bigger downside to it all is that I don't um, get to just go fishing, you know, uh, without something attached to it as much as right. I used to. Um, not not even close. I probably fish as much as I used to, but a lot of times it is a camera or some sort of an event or something. Right. Um, you know, I, I took two Friday nights into all day Saturdays the last like couple weeks. They were the only weekends I was in town uh, in, uh, you know, over the course of like three months. And I just pulled my camper up and I right. fished. And e- even then I ran into, you know, a couple of people on the river and, and uh, they were just super shocked. Oh my God, are you fishing alone? And I'm like, and that's what's funny is I'm like, I, I thought about this recently. I'm like, hmm, when I'm home, I do fish alone. I don't have right. Reese. You know, you may or may not know that, that Reese passed away. Yeah, so he was my, my fishing buddy. And, uh, uh, you know, and I have fishing friends and, and close fishing friends and stuff like that. But I don't have that, that you know, one guy or, you know, it anymore. But um, So I fish alone a little bit. But So I, I miss a little bit of that and, and have thought about taking a little break from all the all this stuff at one point to maybe just spend a summer of only <laughs> right. of fishing and, and fishing pro- no cameras, fish, no, not even pictures. You right. know? I've, I've even gotten to the point, honestly, where I, I don't even want to take pictures uh, uh, when I fish. I don't want a hero shot of me holding right. the fish. I don't want a picture of the fish. I don't want to, you know, I, I take that stuff to get a couple Instagram things right. to fulfill what I think is, 
showing something cool to people that like to follow my stuff because I, I like looking at pictures of fish and I like yeah. when people have pictures of fish but I get tired but I'm like man we don't need one more damn picture of me or one more video of me right. in the world where I have a damn fish right it, people are got to be tired of that right. <laughs> talk about so your your alter ego Hank he's electric right I mean the energy just I yep. mean even when he's hung over he's he's electric yeah and you know getting into this you know you're fishing but ultimately, it's your responsibility to make sure you've got good guys. I mean, and, and gals working for you, but the, your your crew is great. But ultimately, it's your responsibility to write and yep. you know ultimately produce. Um, turning that guy on and off. Um, I got to spend a, like a week with Chris Rock when he was out here filming a movie. <laughs> one time. And Chris Rock is Chris Rock all the time. Yeah. Whether and yeah. this was his directorial debut on a on a film, but he's that way all the time. And I was just. I was like, no way, you know, he's got to be exhausted. You know, how does he handle it all? And, you know, people coming and going and everybody wants a piece of him. Is it easy to turn him on and off? And, 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 uh, it can be pretty, it it depends on the situation and what's going on in your life. Right. You know, I've got some family stuff like right now, this is probably the hardest I've ever had to turn him on and off. Um, is, is this trip you know which is unfortunate timing uh, to have some some crazy family stuff going on and um uh it 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 it's weird you know (laughs) i always tell people it's like when you get up and speak and you're like and people meet me and they're like man this isn't you're not like that guy at all (laughs) and i'm like i hope not uh you know and and uh but whenever i do live shows I always start with the introducing myself, whether they introduced me or not, right. because it's that thing that switches the the light on. You know, it's like I'm Hank Patterson, world around fly fishing, and then you sort of get in that mode and you start talking like that guy, and then all the things in your head start like you know you come up with stupid things to say, and and right. you, you know, and it's like the logic of Hank and how you know or illogic of Hank right. all comes out. Um, I, I would say it's it, it's not. It just depends on if how tired you are yeah. or. Other things that might be going on in your head, but for the most part, I don't have too hard a time turning the the switch on. I will say, if we go like two or three months without shooting something, it takes me a while to talk and <laughs> right. to do it right. And all of sure. a sudden, it's like, no, that just sounded like me being pissed, <laughs> right. not yeah. like Hank being pissed. Right. So that that can get a little weird. Yeah. So now shifting gears. Uh, Camp Hagawagada. Hagadagada. Hagadagada. I knew yeah, I was sure. going to blow yeah. that. I've seen all right. six episodes twice. <laughs> Where'd the term come from? Hagadagada. I, you know, I didn't know for a long time. It's something that I would just always say. It's like Hagadagada. Yeah, Hagadagada. And then, uh, I, and people would be like, so people that have known me are like, well, you've been saying it for as long as I've known you, and right. uh, I'm like, well before Hank existed. Right. And I said, yeah, I said, but I know it's from something. I just can't put my finger on it. I said, I didn't come up with it. Right. Now, I do know now. Um, if you watch the movie The Breakfast Club, right. uh, the teacher or, you know, the vice principal role right. uh, character, at one point he's out and he gets a drink out of the water fountain. And he stands up in front of the water fountain and he looks at his reflection in the uh, fire extinguisher, I believe. And he looks at it and he sort of puffs up his collar and he goes, Hagadagada. And he walks off. I don't think he says Hagadagada. I think he says Hagada or something like that. But it's close enough that I'm like that. That's I watched way too much of The Breakfast Club right. ba- back in the day. I'm surprised I didn't know that. But my we were watching just a couple episodes last night with my family, and 
my wife goes, you're going to blow that when you get him on. Oh, yeah. yeah. Get him on. Oh, no, and yeah. I said, yeah. yeah, no, I've got it. The worst, I, worse than blowing it is deciding you're going to name your your series something that nobody can spell. <laughs> it's like, how the hell am I supposed to find that? <laughs> yeah, let's just talk about that briefly. Shot in Idaho? Uh, shot? shot in Idaho at Camp Perkins, which is just outside of uh, uh, Stanley, Idaho. Right on. Plans for second season? <laughs> probably not you know that's and it's disappointing yeah, you probably know, right? uh maybe uh it, it what's funny is i called it season one never having any intention of doing right. a season two it was right. just something to do that was super we we got access to a summer camp and yeah, it was like perfect. hey man if i can go to summer camp just and just drink beer and right make on. a funny video uh for a week and a half well, hell yeah yeah yeah, I'm yeah, gonna do yeah. at right. the end of that wally Again, my cousin like just looked at me and he's like, "Dude, I'm 50 years old, and I just went to summer camp." And he's <laughs> right like, "That it. that was a hell of a time. Right. We we had it. we had a that was one of the funner shoots that we've ever had." Yeah, and it, it shows, and that, you know that yeah. comfort. You know, that obviously some of the characters from your your videos were in there too, but the comfort level with everybody <laughs> there. I mean, it, it yeah. showed, and it, you know, yeah, you got a fan in the whole family anyway. Awesome. So. Last question, and I'm, I'm really asking this of, of all our guests, whether it really fits or not. But with game fish agencies, and, and I know you know Idaho and, and Montana and Wyoming just came from one of these conferences, recruitment, retention, reactivation. We're losing hunters. We're losing anglers. Um, you know, fishing numbers in general are in decent shape, but the hunting numbers are going down. What's your perspective on that? How can we as a generation of stewards and mentors – I mean, I think part part of it is, you know, the stuff that you do resonates a lot with, you know, the 20-year-olds and, and, and even some, some of my friends back home that work for our agency mm-hmm. that aren't necessarily hunters and fishermen. You know, you bring in a different perspective, lighthearted, funny, that kind of stuff. What's your perspective on that, just that recruitment retention? I know it Yeah. No, 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 no. I, you know, Hank would tell you that it's a good thing. And the less people that are out there, the right. less that are in his way. And, and he would say the best conservation is to kill off the human race. <laughs> uh, you know, but since we can't do that, he would say that, uh, the first thing you need to do if you, if you really want to, you know, conserve the great outdoors is to go out and buy all the kids like televisions and computers and keep them inside. Uh, but I would tell you <laughs> that maybe that's not, not the best way to go about things and certainly hans who owns a fly shop right. might not want to lose all of his future clientele um you, you know honestly I, I i would just assume it, it's just get kids out you know get get younger people out in the outdoors and uh you, you know you're only going to love what you're exposed to um so if these kids don't have an opportunity to get out and and, and a lot of them don't you know and um that's going to be the thing. I mean, they, they can only appreciate what they experience. And so the more kids and the more kid programs and things that get kids outside and teach them, uh, conservation is where I would start. And, and just how, you know, that you, to love the resource and, and to do everything in the world you can to protect the resource. Um, they'll do that if they love the resource, if they don't give a shit about the resource, then there's no reason to expect them, uh, to appreciate it and to fight for it. Um, so I, I would say it's, you just got to get them out there and, and they're going to experience it. Uh, all of them aren't going to like it. Obviously I have two daughters that <laughs> have very little interest in, in fly fishing and, and some of the outdoor things that I do, but they, they do appreciate, uh, the outdoors to the extent of knowing it's important to, um, uh, protect it. Um, 
and and but the other thing is that you can't and i think that the problem sometimes becomes people think this you you can't expect kids today to be the same as kids as as you were when you were a kid they do have a lot of things they do have computers they do have video games they do have cell phones in their hands and they do have all that stuff if the first thing you do is tell a kid that they can't take their cell phone out into the outdoors or the first thing you do is you yell at them for getting their cell phone you you have to meet them on common ground and you have to communicate with them in a way that they communicate and so i think that it's a mistake to tell them that you know computers and television and cell phones and all those things are are bad things because that is how they communicate and it is an absolute extension of who they are as people and so i think think that if you can learn to communicate with with young people and figure out ways that you can utilize the things that they love to get them interested in the outdoors, the more of them will go outdoors. And if, if more of them go outdoors, they'll love it. They'll protect it. Right now. It's a hell of a speech. <laughs> Jump down off the soapbox. No, that's well, good stuff. Yeah, I appreciate yeah, it. Yeah. Hey, today was a ton of fun. Thanks to Hans and, and thanks to you and the Black Hills Fly, fly Fisher. It was, it was, I've never had more fun watching somebody else fish in my entire life. That's <laughs> honestly got true. Awesome. I, I appreciate the time. I'm going to let you get back and get a beer in you and get some food in you. Thanks, man. I thanks, appreciate, man. It. appreciate right it. Right on. Same thanks practice. for having me. I've been down blind just past by without seeing how to me. Just best by that Thanks, Chris. I'm really excited to be here today. Uh, we have a special guest. Her name is Heather Taylor, and we're going to talk to her about her hunting experiences. This is Thea Miller Ryan from the Outdoor Campus, South Dakota Game Fish and Parks Outdoor Education Center in Sioux Falls. So Heather, I'm so glad you're here. I've well, known you, you for a long time. We have. It's it's really great. Um, you know, we've watched our kids kind of grow older together, and mm-hmm. uh, we've seen a lot of things happen. In fact, I think you were around when I met my husband. Yes, I was. <laughs> I was right. there on that fateful day. I think <laughs> fateful day. <laughs> um, so. Were you a hunter back then? Even I was. Really? I was. Tell me how you got started. You know, my dad was just an absolutely f- rabbit outdoors person. He he hunted, he fished, he did everything that was outdoorsy. Um, and he taught all of us kids at a very early age to enjoy that as well. And so um, we've been doing that in our family for a long time. I'm dating myself, but right. at least, me you know, too. 40 years. So, <laughs> yep. Mm-hmm. yep. Um, did your whole family hunt? Did your mom hunt too? You know, she didn't until after my dad died. Mm-hmm. Um, my brother was still at home and my brother loved to hunt. And so my mom picked up a shotgun and said, by gosh, I'm going to make sure that he still has the ability to do um, what he did when my dad was alive. Wow. And um, she ended up being a crack shot. Wow, yes. that's impressive. Yes, it was very impressive, and and uh, um, I think she was a little intimidated by it, but found that she she had fun. Oh my gosh, that is that's cool. Mm-hmm. You don't hear a lot of stories like that, sadly. Yeah. yeah. Um. So you were talking about the the gun that she picked up. Do you still have that one? We do. Yeah, we do. In fact, I have one of the very first guns that my dad ever gave me. Um, and I hunt still to this day with it quite what religiously. It? It's a Browning over and under. It's a Satori 12 gauge. Wow. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. 
Cool. So um, you've been hunting since you were a kid then. Do you remember taking hunter safety? I remember taking hunter safety. In fact, on the way over here, um, I was kind of reminiscing about going out to the Isaac Walton League because yes. that was where we all took our gun hunter safety yeah. um, back in the day. And when my kids went through it a couple of years ago, it's a very different procedure. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I think that it's nice to see that as, as times change, um, you know, our education changes with it. It does. It does. Just when I moved back to Sioux Falls, um, I'd been living out of state and I took it just so I could be South Dakota certified. And plus I knew that we'd be teaching it. So that was now like probably 25 years ago. And how we taught it then versus how we teach it now is Mm -hmm. even different. Yeah, I don't remember walking through, you know, the the simulation of walking through a field and getting in and out of a car. And maybe I did that. But again, you know, as as we get older, our memories get a little bit foggier. And I'm not sure what we, we did. We are dating ourselves. Yes, we are, aren't we? <laughs> so what kept you hunting? You know, I just always had um, the ability to go places to hunt. My dad had a lot of networking that he had done and, uh, and he also had purchased property out by pier. Um, and so we were one of the lucky families that always had a place to go. Mm -hmm. Um, I know that that's a difficult, um, thing this day and age, um, with it being so commercialized, um, just to find places to hunt anymore can get difficult. And, um, but when we were growing up, we had access to great pheasant land. We had access to goose and duck land. Um, in fact, my favorite thing to hunt back in the day were actually geese. Really? Yes. What, yes. Any particular season? You know, my dad um, My dad had a ranch out by Pier, and yeah. it used to be a commercial commercial goose ranch. Oh, of course. Um, so we got into, yeah. the, you know, sitting in the pits and having geese fly over and calling, you know, over, over fields. And um, I just found it very exhilarating, and it was a lot of fun. Those kind of things are such great experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in the fall when you hear the geese start flying again, does it bring you back? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I hear those honkers and, and, um, it's just amazing. In fact, last year, uh, a couple of years ago, I moved out by Wildwater West. So we're on an acreage and there's a lot of geese flying out in that area. I and I took video one day and I said to myself, I said, this is my dad saying hello. Aww. Um, there were thousands of geese, thousands of geese flying over my house and it was absolutely deafening and everything from Canadians to snows and you could hear the little squeakers, you know, and, Mm -hmm. and, um, and it was just a really kind of thrilling moment. It brought tears to my eyes actually, but, um, what a special moment. Yeah, it was, it really was. And, um, you know, I didn't, after I had kids, I kind of quit hunting for a period of time and now we're hunting again. And, um, and I don't know if my kids will be, um, as, as excited about it as myself. They'll hunt occasionally. Mm -hmm. Um, it's kind of like, you know, if I could get them maybe goose hunting or duck hunting, there's a little bit more of a stationary hunt, so to speak. I think the long trekking of the pheasant, you know, (laughs) land and getting through really thick brush, I think some, (laughs) somewhat of a deterrent to my kids, but yeah, (laughs) I've walked through some really thick brush too. And you know, you ever get your boots stuck and your lace or something. Well, and especially (laughs) now because everything is so wet Mm -hmm. and so places that you think are going to be dry all of a sudden it's like, Oh, I'm knee deep in stuff. I don't want to be knee deep in, but you know, we'll get it figured out. Hunters in South Dakota always seem to persevere. We do. We mm-hmm. do. Mm-hmm. Do you hunt with dogs? We do. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually, my partner and I, Jim, um, he has a German short hair and I have two wire hairs. Wow. And I grew up actually hunting behind Labradors. Um, and so this wire hair and short hair 
um, pointing dog was a, a new phenomenon for me, but we've been <laughs> hunting behind pointers now for about three years, and it's awesome. I love it. Really? Wouldn't mm-hmm. go back? I don't know if I wouldn't go back. I think I've gotten so used to how they operate, and I think it makes um, hunting, at least for me, a little bit easier. You know, as I get older, <laughs> um, I don't like slogging through a lot of, you know, real heavy brush either, and, and they're just great dogs to hunt with. Oh, I love hearing that. Yeah, yeah. So, uh Having having dogs along is is a culture rich part of of the whole experience. I think, um, you know, in my family, I was usually the bird dog. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, growing up yeah. in a hunting family, depending on how old you were, you were always the bird dog. Right. You were always the retriever. It just never. Uh, That's right. I think it's a rite of passage. But you're right. I think that um, in my experience, I've hunted behind very good dogs, and I've hunted behind horrible dogs. Really. Mm-hmm. Um, and so. Uh, you know, getting the proper mix and the right mix and the right training and making sure that, you know, you kind of know what you're doing before you get out into the field, especially when you're hunting with other people. You don't want to ever ruin their hunt. Yeah. Um, but yeah. all of that is part of the camaraderie that I think all of us it as is. hunters seem to, to have together. It's part of the experience. Um, you know, we're trying to teach, uh, especially younger people right now, millennials. We kind of missed a generation with mm-hmm. the whole hunting thing, and it's hard to catch them and and show them that hunting is is one of those experiences that they seek. Yes. And uh we try to get them out there and try to get that just that smell of the fall and the mm-hmm. sound of the guns cracking and the dogs barking and the excited people. Yeah. And you know the smell of what's cooking when you come home, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um I I love that and so we're trying really hard to introduce people to that again and try to get more people out there hunting. Um, I read a report from the National Shooting Sports Foundation. I just read it this morning and it said that in the United States, of all of the licensed hunters, only 13% of them are women. That just seems so low to me. It does to me too. And hmm. maybe that's not true of South Dakota. I'd need to look that up. Well, and I, I would be very curious to know that statistic because it seems that with at least the people that I hunt with, um, the majority are men, but there's always a woman thrown in there and it's not just me. Right. Um, which is, which is nice to see. I think that sometimes it can be intimidating, um, maybe to, to certain people as far as, you know, especially if you're new, you know, right. and you don't want to mess up. I mean, you're dealing with a weapon, mm-hmm. um, and it can be dangerous if not used properly. And mm-hmm. so, um, but you know, my kids are enjoying learning how to be safe. Um, and you know, my daughter doesn't necessarily like the hunting, but she loves to shoot. So when Great. we trap shoot, yeah. she's always all over that. She loves it, and she's a very, very good shot. And she's got an interesting shooting style like myself because really? even though I'm right-handed, I shoot lefty. You know, is it because you're left-eye dominant? I am. Yes. I am. Yes. And my dad taught me very, very early on. In fact, I remember one of the first times we ever went goose hunting. And, I mean, I am aiming. I've got my chin almost <laughs> behind the stock of the gun because I just couldn't aim properly. Right. Um, and that's when he bought me my Satori, thinking that the over and under would be easier. And then oh, we figured out that it wasn't necessarily the length of the gun or the style of the gun that I was shooting with. It was the fact that I needed to learn how to shoot left-handed. Um, and so I, that's the only thing I can do left-handed. I couldn't catch a ball. I couldn't write. I can't do anything. And my daughter is the same way. So that's really? kind of fun for us to share. Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. I'm just the opposite. I'm left-handed, but I shoot right-handed. 
Really? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So there, there, there are weird um, uh, uh, things out there with hunting, and I th- and I think as long as you have good guidance, mm-hmm. you can figure those things out. And so learning, such as you do here at the campus, um, teaching people how to do that, and then giving them those corrections and those abilities to actually become very good hunters without the hindrance of, say, shooting, you know, with the wrong hand. Exactly. Then there you go. It makes the pleasurable experience. It does. Oh, I love hearing that you're still out there. Um, We're not that old, right? No, we're not that old. This keeps us young, right? Keeps us young, yeah. 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 But you're still still out there every fall. You get that bug and and you go. Um, that's, that's really exciting. It's a yeah. great way to share it. I'm so glad you're sharing it with your kids Yes, and kind of mentoring them mm-hmm. to be good and ethical hunters when they grow up. Oh, absolutely. Cause I grew up that way. Um, my dad was very, very adamant about being that person that you always would be proud of once you were done with your hunt at the end of the day. Oh my gosh. Um, that's a great so, way to think of it. Yeah. Yeah, take take note, everybody. This is, um, you know, something, hunting is an experience you should feel proud of, what mm-hmm. you've done at the end of the day. Absolutely. That's a great way to mm-hmm. say it, Heather. Thanks. Thank you so much for coming here. Oh. It has been a great day, and good luck this fall. Well, thank you. Thank you for inviting me. All right. I've been down blind, just passed by without seeing how to me. All right, awesome stuff from our friend Thea Ryan at the Outdoor Campus East. I think they're all dried out now, and uh, you can go and check stuff out. they got awesome programming. Uh, I think their trails are dried out, so go give them a, give them a holler. Uh, lots of fun stuff coming up this fall out at the Outdoor Campus East. So we're getting ready to wrap up, but before we do, I've got a uh, segment here with my friend Bullet Bob Hanton, fisheries biologist for GFP. And Bob is the main man behind our salmon spawning program. So Bob, tell me what's going on up at Whitlock right now. You bet, Chris. Uh, Actually, uh, we're having a, a really, we're having a solid run of salmon up the ladder this year. A little bit unexpected. Uh, Based off of 2016 stocking numbers, we didn't stock a lot of salmon because we didn't have a lot of uh, fish to stock back uh, back then. But uh, had good survival on those fish, and we're seeing good numbers up the ladder. Is it? Do you think that's a little earlier? It seems like the the big run is a little earlier. I mean, you had a big number of fish the first day you first day you started. We did. Uh, you know, actually. Uh, we started and ran the station for about a week, didn't have anything, no fish up the ladder, uh, went out, collected a few fish, put them in the, the raceways uh, by electrofishing. Next day, fish started coming up the ladder, and um, it's just been good since. I think uh, to date, we've had 624 oh, salmon wow. that have come up the fish ladder. Bob, for for those of you who don't know, um, our salmon spawning station is up at Whitlock Bay up on Lake Oahe. Um, explain just real briefly uh, what what that ladder and the, and the salmon spawning station does, and how do those fish know where to go? How do we know where to put the ladder? Just Ex- real quick. Exactly. Um, what this is is this is basically a callback station. Uh, we basically pump water out of the lake up into a building through raceways. The gravity feeds down a fish ladder into the bay in which those salmon were stocked as little fish. Uh, 
you know, and this is kind of one of the, the neat parts of science is we still don't know exactly how they come back <laughs> um, as adults to the location that they were originally stocked or sent some flowing water, but they come back to us after they spent two to four years out in Lake Hawaii, uh, and they're ready to spawn, and uh, uh, we're glad when they come back. It makes our job a lot easier. Right. No no natural reproduction in, in No natural in reproduction, Hawaii. yeah. Chinook salmon, uh, uh, we just, uh, this introduced species, we just don't have the cold water streams to allow uh, natural reproduction <laughs> and eggs to survive through the winter. And uh, uh, when, how long is this program, how long has Gamefish Parks been stocking salmon? Uh, we've been stocking Chinook salmon in Lake Hawaii since 1982. Uh, you know, and that was, uh, it was just one of those deals that we had a, a lot of cold water habitat. We were looking for a cold water sport fish, and guys started catching Chinook salmon that uh, North Dakota introduced that came through the dam or in Lake Hawaii, and the rest is history, as they say. Um, people like to catch for catch them, and they travel a long ways to fish for them. And the Hanton family have a long, long and uh, bannered history with those, right? We do, we do. You know, actually, uh, my dad was instrumental in the starting of the cold water program on the Missouri River, especially Lake Hawaii. Um, very instrumental in the Chinook salmon program and building of that Whitlock spawning station. That's that's really cool. What what's the goal for uh, like an average year or like say this year? What's the goal for egg numbers? You bet. Egg numbers this year, ideally we'd like to get 1.2 million salmon eggs. Uh, the reason we shoot for so many eggs is uh, unlike other places, when you collect Chinook salmon eggs, they have really good eye up and survival. Well, we're not in the the normal place where Chinook salmon lives, so their eggs aren't as good a quality. So we, a lot of times, will have to collect uh, a lot of extra eggs to get enough to stock. And right now we're shooting for stocking about 400,000 Chinook salmon back in Lake Hawaii in 2018 as our ultimate goal. Okay, Uh, so how big are those fish when you stock them, and where do you stock them, and when? Uh, those fish will be uh, around three to five inches long when they're stocked. They'll be stocked in the spring. Uh, right now, uh, we're probably looking at a May stocking and probably looking at Whitlock Bay and Spring Creek, uh, with the majority of them going in Whitlock Bay up by Gettysburg, South Dakota. When when you get these eggs, and it is a cool process to see it all happen, it's like, it's, it's like a machine, you and your staff. Where do the eggs go? Where are we raising those fish? You bet. Um, we've got excellent hatchery staff uh, out on the western part of the state, both at McNenny State Fish Hatchery and Cleghorn Springs. They actually come over, uh, help with the egg collection and fertilization, and they transport those eggs back and take over basically hatching, raising, and stocking those fish back in the reservoir. And it, it essentially is either from anglers or from predation or from us it's a put and take fishery right talk a little bit about uh, the spawning cycle of a, of a chinook salmon exactly uh this is totally a, a put grow take system uh since we don't have natural reproduction uh basically you know once the hatchery brings those fish over in the spring stocks them out in the system they spend two to four years in lake hawaii growing available for anglers to catch uh in the fall they they basically have that sensor urge to become sexually mature. Their body changes, develop eggs, uh, return to uh, Whitlock Bay area, come up the fish ladder, and then that's when we collect uh, 
eggs from the females and fertilize them with the males. And then even if they don't return to the ladder, at that point, they die. I mean, exactly. One way or the exactly. These, these Chinook salmon, their life cycle at this point is uh, basically to mature, spawn, uh, find a place to spawn, and then die. Uh, their life cycle is two to four years. Females typically live three years. Males, two to four years. It's amazing that what's the state record salmon right now in South Dakota? Do you know? I mean, right now uh, I think we sit we're sitting at uh, thirty one pounds four four ounces, I believe. So in four years, three years, that fish grows that much. That's amazing. Exactly, and that actually those big fish that were pushing those upper twenties and low thirties were three year old fish. Wow. I mean, they they put on that that type of growth when they have. Uh, especially lake herring out in Lake Hawaii, mm-hmm. the smaller lake herring, uh, they can put on uh, exceptional growth just like our walleyes and our northern pike do when lake herring are available. Right. Amazing. So for those of you who don't know, Whitlock Spawning Station, you, you we could schedule tours. That's open to the public, right? Talk it, about that a little bit. Exactly. Uh, we do uh, have tours come in on spawn days. They're typically Wednesdays during the month of October. However, the best way to do it is to call ahead uh, you can call 605-223-7681 uh, to schedule a tour and make sure that we're spawning fish. But, yeah, we're open to the public. Love to have you come up. Yeah, that's a cool, that's a really cool school school group tour, but it's also just fascinating to watch it as as an adult. Every time I go up there, I learn something. And, and it is really cool that, you know, for kids and for people who don't normally get to see these fish, to get their hands on touch them, poke them, look at you guys spawning them. You know, uh, you and your crew do a great job of running that tour. So I would encourage anybody out there, if you got something to, or nothing to do in, in this October or the, the coming Octobers, you can pair it with a pheasant hunt. We've done that. I've seen a lot of people do that. They come up, uh, you know, go in the morning, check it out, and then go uh, hunt some of the awesome public ground that's that's uh, up and down the Missouri River. But encourage people to do that. Uh, Bob, I think that's all we got. Thanks for your time. And uh, you are a wealth of knowledge when it comes to uh, salmon and all things fishy. Great. Thanks for having me on. It's down the bar.